Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg, Podcast 6 The D-Day Diary of Company Sergeant Major Douglas Gray, Part 1 More great previously unpublished history Third of June, 1944. Left Romsey camp at 1700 hours for embarkation at Southampton. All the civilians seem to have known this is it and are very enthusiastic about it all, more than I am. Christ, how I envy the blokes that are stopping behind. Sixth of June. Sea still rough and still bailing at daybreak can see flashes on the horizon in the direction of France. That'll be the bombers. We're supposed to land at H hour. 7th of June. Lead company is out and advanced to contact. Enemy in strength at farmhouse, about one mile in front. Battalion puts in attack, weak of a right flank. Four tanks in support. Hello, I'm Paul Cheele, son of Bill Cheele, whose World War II memoirs have been published by Pen and Sword in Fighting Through from Dunkirk to Hamburg. The aim of the podcast is to give you snippets from the book as well as some fascinating updates on Bill Cheele's so-called British Band of Brothers, some of whom wrote their own memoirs too, so you'll be hearing quite a lot of great previously unpublished history. I've recently built a dedicated website for the podcast, so from now on you'll be able to keep up to date with various photographs and extra material about each podcast. So for instance, for this one, I've posted up loads of photographs and maps connected to Doug's diary, and uh, also I've posted up transcripts of the speeches which Monty and Eisenhower made in the lead-up to D-Day to motivate the troops. If you go to fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk, you'll find it. That's fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk. Now, as per custom, I'd like to thank a couple more people for their very generous feedback. First one is by MN Wrecking Crew. I really enjoy this podcast. I've been studying World War II history since I was very young, especially since my dad fought in the Royal Navy. I find this very enlightening and informative, excellent and interesting. Then a second bit of feedback by Sturmcat. Excellent podcast. I started listening last week and I cannot wait for new ones to come out. So far, every single podcast has read like a battle narrative, filled with history, first-hand small unit accounts of individual struggles, as well as the bigger battle around them. Very interesting and well done five stars well thank you so much for that folks uh, really appreciated and i do hope it helps other people to discover and enjoy the show thanks again this episode i'm presenting the excellent normandy diary of company sergeant major douglas ernest gray seventh green howards and uh, although these guys didn't know each other uh, he did fight very closely to my dad who is in the sixth green howards 
The diary's been supplied by Douglas's son, who's also Douglas. Uh, the entries start just before D-Day and finish several weeks after, so it's quite a rare historical record because soldiers were forbidden to keep diaries in case they got captured. I know my own dad, who was in Doug's battalion, once destroyed his own diary pages before going into battle for that very reason. But maybe Doug, uh, being a sergeant, had that little extra confidence to ignore the rules, so let's be thankful he did. Son Doug wrote to me about his dad, and he said, My father died in 1991, and his war diary only came to my notice on the death of my mother a few years ago. Like many veterans, he spoke little of his wartime exploits. I, along with my sister Trish, continue to take an interest in those war years. I now live in central France and I'm very proud of my father and his comrades. Dad was at Dunkirk, North Africa, Sicily and Normandy. His elder brothers were also Seven Green Howards, Captain G. E. Gray, captured in Sicily, and Sergeant A. E. Gray, quartermaster. The family came from Bridlington, East Yorkshire, England. After the war, Dad married my mum, Barbara Cookson, referred to as Bids in his diary. She was a Wren, WRNS, serving at Yeovilton. Now before I forget, I'd like to thank Doug and Trish for their help in providing their dad's memoirs. It's so good that they can now be shared with literally thousands of listeners worldwide. We've got people listening in America, Canada, UK, Australia, Netherlands, 52 different countries in all. So thanks to everybody. Now the period covered by the diary includes the action which led to Sergeant Grey winning the military medal and we're going to find that covered both by his diary entry and the citation for the subsequent award. Sergeant Grey fought with the 7th Green Howards of 69th Brigade in the 50th Infantry Division. The Green Howards were a very fine Northern England regiment with proud traditions and exemplary fighting record. 50 Div had a tough war, being in the thick of the action time after time, and it was in the first wave of troops landing on Gold Beach on D-Day. The 6th and 7th Green Howards, together with the 5th East Yorks, comprised 69th Brigade of 50th Division, and at various times during the diary you will hear reference to other battalions such as the Durham Light Infantry and the Hampshires, several others. Many of the soldiers were hardened veterans, and each bore a grim determination to exact revenge for the deaths of their fallen pals in previous battles. It's kind of funny, but in preparing the diary for this podcast, I first went through it to remove what might seem like the boring bits, but uh, incredibly I've ended up removing very little. And even the odd domestic stuff like uh, bathing and sleeping is interesting history in its own way, so I hope listeners still find it as relevant as I did. In fact, it's kind of surreal how lunch, weather and two pals being shot up can all figure in the same paragraph. The diary is quite long, so I'm publishing it as two episodes and I hope that works for everybody listening. At this point, I'd like to introduce some of the characters mentioned in the diary so you know who I'm talking about some of the time. There's uh, Ike Isaac Rawson, who was a best friend of Doug. Doug's daughter Trish said that Ike was always felt of as being a missing part of the family 
purely through the way Doug talked about him. There's a photograph of Ike in the show notes at fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk. Another pal of Doug's, Oscar Topham, nicknamed Topper, ran an ice cream parlour. And every Saturday morning before the war, Doug and his son would meet Oscar there for a natter. Doug Jr. has said, I recently looked the ice cream parlour up on Street View and it hasn't changed since the 1960s. Uh, Looking a bit down his heel, the neon signs, Knickerbocker Glory, Milks, Sundays, etc. are just as I remember them. But again, you can see a photograph of the ice cream parlour on fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk. Right, now on to the diary. Um, Doug's entries start just three days before D-Day, with the troops camped near Romsey, near Southampton, on the south coast of England, and everybody's waiting for word that they were about to invade German territory somewhere. Enjoy. 3rd of June, 1944. Left Romsey camp at 1700 hours for embarkation at Southampton. All the civilians seem to have known this is it and are very enthusiastic about it all, more than I am. Christ, how I envy the blokes that are stopping behind. Arrived at the Hards at 2200 hours and boarded onto an LCTA, landing craft tank, armoured. Alfie Wright was on board an LST landing ship tank, moved alongside our boat. Two Centaur tanks and six Bren carriers make up our load. Pulled out into the Solent among the rest of the invasion crafts, and believe me, there's plenty of them. 4th of June 1944, Sunday. Set sail 07.15, but invasion was postponed for another 24 hours, owing to bad weather. Laid off in the Solent all day. Very small craft hours is, and it looks like it's going to be an uncomfortable voyage. Listeners, before I continue, I'm just going to recite to you the motivating personal message from General Montgomery, which was read out to all the troops around this time. Monty's speech was read out by various commanders as they sailed from Southampton on D-Day. I know some of you may have heard this, but uh, it's so very good, I think it deserves a second airing and uh, this time I've got some music to go with it (laughs) 21st Army Group personal message from the Commander in Chief to be read out to all troops the time has come to deal the enemy a terrific blow in Western Europe The blow will be struck by the combined sea, land and air forces of the Allies, together constituting one great Allied team under the supreme command of General Eisenhower. On the eve of this great adventure, I send my best wishes to every soldier in the Allied team. To us is given the honour of striking a blow for freedom which will live in history. And in the better days that lie ahead, men will speak with pride of our doings. We have a great and righteous cause. Let us pray that the Lord mighty in battle will go forth with our armies, and that his special providence will aid us in the struggle. 
I want every soldier to know that I have complete confidence in the successful outcome of the operations that we're about to begin. With stout hearts and with enthusiasm for the contest, let us go forward to victory. And as we enter the battle, let us recall the words of a famous soldier spoken many years ago. He either fears his fate too much, or his deserts are small, who dare not put it to the touch to win or lose it all. Good luck to each one of you, and good hunting on the mainland of Europe. B. L. Montgomery, 5th of June, 1944. Listeners, as my dad then said in his memoirs, we were on our way to make history. There was to be no more waiting, no more exercises. This was it. This was the big battle. 6th of June, 1944. And we were going to give the enemy something to contemplate. Fifth of June, forty-four. Well, it's definitely at this time. Sink or swim. Pulled out or seven fifteen. Weather hellish and big sea running. Christ, but it'll be a miracle if this old tub makes it. The way she's pitching and taking in water. Felt very depressed as the coastline of old England had disappeared over the horizon, but must study up my maps and photos, no matter what else happens. Can't help thinking of Bids, bless her. She won't know yet that we've started, and I'm glad. Ship's engine room starting to flood, and had to start bailing with buckets. Sea getting worse, only two of us not seasick. Engines stop and we have to ask for assistance. Pump transferred from another LCTA. Start to get water under control, but we still have to bail. Soaked to the skin and cold, but we must keep at it. Everybody about all in. The boat in front of us sinks, and two more of our flotilla in distress. Almost wish we were landed. Fell asleep about midnight, worn out. 6th of June, 1944, Tuesday, D-Day, Gold Beach. Sea still rough and still bailing at daybreak. Can see flashes on the horizon in the direction of France. That'll be the bombers. We're supposed to land at H hour, or 7.25, but we'll be two hours late, owing to the weather. We're the only ship out of our flotilla left out of eight. Others either gone down or turned back. Coastline in sight. Hello, there go the rockets. What a bloody row. Traces flying all over the place. Cruisers and destroyers are belting away like hell. What a job getting ashore. My troop carrier and number two carrier failed to start. So only thing to do was to swim to shore and try and get a pull-off by a bulldozer. Our ship derelict now on the beach, but after a hell of a struggle, managed to get a tow to shore. Terrible congestion on the beach, and still under shell fire. Still kept thinking of my last leave with bids. Boat next to ours got hit, 
and a lot of lads killed and wounded. And all for what? I had to get my carriers going somehow and get them out of this. So I went forward on my own to look for Foster, the fitter, who must have landed by now. Finally won through and caught up to battalion at Versumere. The beach was absolutely covered with obstacles and mines, but the Navy and RAF had certainly hammered it. Shore battery there out of action, but snipers giving a lot of trouble. Troop carriers dried out, so set forward to catch battalion. They've certainly pushed on and caught them up at cruelly. Johnny Stoneman badly hit and later died. Otherwise, all the remainder of our lads there except Captain Murray and Bill Bolton's carriers had to stand in as platoon commander. Our tanks fighting it out with an 88. Three go up in flames, what we call brewing up, but we push on. Quite a lot of prisoners, but our lads have had a lot of casualties. Can see our final objective as it goes dark, but pull into a wood for the night. The Luftwaffe have a go at the beaches, but our boys are ready for them. Must be eight mile inland by road. What a day. Readers, I'll just tell you at this point, at the end of the first day, what my dad said in his memoir. He said, Taking our ground sheet from our pack, we spread it out. Then, using our pack as a pillow, covered ourselves with the gas cape. No chance of a blanket. Since we had had very little sleep for three nights, we really should have slept, but it still wouldn't come. The day's events, the horrors, the sadness, the things we had seen, kept us awake until we were called to go on guard. Listeners, at this point I'd like to fill you in on what the Allied objectives were. For the Greenhowards and the 5th East Yorks, uh, they were tasked with getting to Villers Bocage. This was a strategic town located on a major route into Caen, which was in itself the prime early Allied objective. And Caen was important because it lay astride two major waterways, um, namely the Orne River and the Caen Canal. And these two water obstacles could strengthen a German defensive position if they weren't crossed by the Allies. But the battle didn't go as planned and instead it dragged on for about two months because the German forces devoted most of their reserves to holding Kahn. But because so many German divisions were held up in this way, the American forces were eventually able to break through uh, to the south and the east of Kahn. Uh, threatening to encircle the German forces in Normandy from behind. Um, if you look at the show notes at fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk, you'll find a map of the area in question and you'll be able to see the route taken by the troops. OK, back to the diary. 7th of June, Wednesday. Lead company is out on advance to contact. Enemy in strength at farmhouse about one mile in front. Battalion puts in an attack, weak of a right flank, four tanks in support. Taken after pretty stiff attack and a few casualties on mines. About 70 Luftwaffe artillery blokes captured and boy were they dug in. Still, 
It's our final objective for now, so we consolidate. CO orders me to go forward on Recce into Lucelle, and as far as the railway embankment. Fired on just through Lucelle. Dismount and Recce. What a scatter! Tiger tank appears from south end of wood, about 300 yards away. Beat it back like hell to the battalion's position, and report to CO, but Corporal Colwill missing. 8th of June. The tanks are starting to roll up now, but can't advance owing to snipers' strong opposition. Quite a lot of hours knocked out. Canadians seem to be getting the hammer. Orders that we have to go out after the snipers. A party of about 30 of us went, and we found them okay. Nearly had it as one put a bullet through my Bren mag and hat. Firing explosive, the bastards. We fired hell at them, but couldn't get the last few who later gave themselves up. Must have knocked off a good dozen. Williamson killed. Rather an uncomfortable day. Saw my brother Albert for the first time. 9th of June. Rather a nasty shock this morning to find that Noel Walker has been killed by a Sten gun whilst on guard. Knocked the wind out of everybody because he was well liked. Impossible to push on, but the 7th Commando have gone round to the right. Went up to Bruai Wood to relieve Ike Rawson, where he's in contact with the Canadians. What an eerie joint, snipers everywhere. Spandau's had us pinned down to the deck all night long, and we'd feel a lot happier out of it, as it's a ridiculous position. One section of carriers, anti-tank gun and a platoon of C Company, holding a mile and a half gap. Easiest thing in the world for Jerry to infiltrate through, if he did but know our position. 10th of June, Saturday. Glad when daylight came. Everybody on edge and badly in need of sleep. Averaging about four hours a day. Changed the position of two of my guns, and was fired on by one of our own, but otherwise fairly quiet all morning. In the afternoon, the mortars came up to have a shoot. Oscar Topham set fire to a house in the village with one Spandau and eight Jerrys in it. Don Walkington's section came up to relieve me at 1800 hours, and was more than glad to see him. And all the time, there was a feeling of closeness to the enemy, and yet you couldn't see a damn thing. Pulled back to battalion, and could see by the stuff that was flying over that Don was having the same sort of night that I had. 11th of June. Wonder what Bids is doing. Wish I was with her. We're at it again. Battalion putting in an attack on Brunei at 1400 hours to try and help out the Canadians. And what a bloody shambles. Good lives being thrown away. Casualties heavy. Had to go down and get D Company and nearly had it again. Carrier broke down under heavy machine gun fire and had to strip Carburetta down. Carrier hit a number of times. D Company lads all out okay, but they've had it. We've been at it all this time without a break. Tani Butler sniped. Battalion consolidated in wood as I go out with my section and Westie's anti-tank gun on outpost. Uneasy night. There's quite a number of Bosch in the area. 12th of June. 
still in the same position, on the watch all day for Jerry patrols, which are trying to infiltrate pastors, managed to get an hour or two sleep. Spandau's pretty active again, otherwise things fairly quiet. Another uneasy night. Weather very much against us. 13th of June. Nothing much doing except for sniping and MMG, medium machine gun fire. Understand we're all getting relieved today. Rumour correct for once. Relieved by King's Own Yorkshire Light Infantry, out of Red Ted's Brigade. Approximately 1,700 hours. First break since we landed, and badly in need of it. The lads are absolutely all in, but still smiling. Pulled into a nice peaceful area, right in the middle of our artillery, at Cornes-sur-Seuil. But it'll take more than them to keep me awake. 14th of June, Wednesday. Got up about 9 o'clock, very much better, and did a spot of washing. Went to mobile baths in Bayer, and very nice too. First bath since we left Blighty. Nothing much in Bayer. Typical French town, and already full of base wallers. We've had it. Just got back from Baths and had to take second in command forward to La Sonaudière, where we're going to take over from the Devons. Been some stiff fighting around this area, and quite a number of our tanks knocked out, and a couple of his. Old Spandau Joe and his mates had a hate period while we were there, causing a bit of a scatter. Return to rest area about 2300 hours. 15th of June. Up to now, I haven't mentioned the RAF much, but they are certainly doing a fine job of work, and it's very morale-lifting to see them up above all this time. Moved forward just behind the 231 Brigade, and got briefed for the following morning's attack. Don't like it, and I bet we drop a clanger. Buried a couple of Hampshire lads, who'd stopped one well and truly. 16th of June. Ravelli or 300 hours, and battalion started to move forward, carriers leading, at 05.30 hours, to form up on start line at Les Oreilles by 9 o'clock. A squadron of tanks with us. Started to advance, but didn't get very far before the boys ran into hellish Spandau fire and tanks. Casualties rising, and we kept busy getting them out. Christ, but it's hell, and old Jerry certainly knows his ground. Tanks unable to move on account of the closeness of the country. Boys reached his first objective, but had to pull back because of fire from the rear. You can't see the bastards, which makes things so nerve-wracking. Wish that we were back in the old desert. Moved into tactical HQ and consolidated. Strengthened A Company front with our Brens. Nearly copters that time. In a cottage with CO Captain Murray and Brigadier, when Jerry whipped a tank up and let bang at close range. Brigadier wounded and two killed, but my luck held out again. Wish I could stop a cushy one. About time they brought a fresh division in. Our lads have had it. But they're still sticking. Bred hell out of us all night. Very few old lads left now. 17th June. Took over from the 5th East Yorks, and once more we tried to push forward, but it's sheer suicide. The country's absolutely rotten with snipers and spandaus. The lads have had it, 
and they'll have to pull them out. My section take over A Company's position while they try to advance. Did we get hammered? But we had to stop there. Poor old Topper runs into a Spandau and gets five bullets in him. Marvellous piece of work by an officer getting him out. Doc thinks he might pull through. Hope so as he's the best sergeant in the battalion and hates Jerry's more than anyone on account of him seeing his brother killed next to him at Akarit. A Company starts to pull back about 1600 hours and Jerry spots him, sent over everything he had and just missed it again. Saw three chaps killed by the same shell that knocked me daft. Not three yards off me and Ike. Dick Stavely and Alan wounded and that left three of us to go out and get them out. God knows why we weren't hit. Much more and I'll have had it. Shaking like a leaf so we'll get the brew on before it gets dark. 18th of June Pretty quiet morning. Buick Wood. But then more fun and games as the brass hats call it. In the afternoon. God, but they're sending us in again. I knew it would happen. Jerry let us get right through and then counter-attacked with tanks. What hell? The CO, Major Hudson, and all B Company lost. Absolutely overrun before we could dig in. What confusion, but wouldn't be surprised if the lads get blamed for it. At it every day since D-Day, with only one break and still no sign of any relief. I thought we were the assault division, and after that we'd finish, but it looks as if we're going to get all the shit again, just as it was in the desert. But we've got to keep going, and something will turn up, but God knows what. Had to fall back to where we started from, and carriers fought a rearguard, while what was left of the battalion regrouped. Casualties for the day about 250, including the CO, and stacks of arms and equipment. Ike's section and mine took up positions with the East Yorks for the night, and then went to strengthen C Company on the morning of 19th of June. If it wasn't for this diary, I wouldn't know what day or date it was. Battalion more or less regrouped as much as possible. Pouring with rain and a cold north wind blowing, Everybody soaked to the skin and very miserable. Must be great to be in England right now. I'd give a hell of a lot for a few more nights out like we used to have at the spa in Weymouth. Two more letters from Bids today. Bless her, and feeling a 100% better after receiving them. Still no sign of any relief. 20th of June, Tuesday. What a night! Rain and wind by the buckets full, and all we had to keep us dry was a gas cape. Cheers, the weather's starting to clear a bit. Our artillery's getting ashore now, and is certainly slinging it over, but it doesn't seem to make much impression on Jerry. Just had some more mail, cheers, and wonder what Bids is doing right now. Telling somebody off, I'll bet, or else talking to her mum on the phone. Yes, it's all worth it, and more for her. She's far too good for me. Only wish that mother could have lived to have seen us. There are more forward troops on the beachhead than there ever have been since we landed. Jerry seems to have quite a lot more heavy artillery. 
21st of June. Still with C Company. I don't think that the Bosch know our worst state of affairs, or else he would have counterattacked further and braid us right out of it. East Yorks took over our positions about midday, and we took up positions on the right-hand fork road at Les Oreilles, in the direction of Crowville. Things a bit quieter. Two new reinforcements to my section, one only 18 years old, and battalion more or less made up to strength. Hardly recognise any of the chaps now. We've certainly taken a lashing, but we've also given it out. 22nd of June. A bit of a spell. Went down to Bayer in relays for a bath. Golly, but I didn't know I was so mucky. My moustache seems to have stopped growing, but I'm not shaving it off till Bids has passed her opinion. I know what that'll be. Nothing much in Bayer. Hell of a lot of profiteering. Took rations up to standing patrol at La Butte. Pigs sick. They wanted me to take CSM of B Company. Not bloody likely. Frank transfers to D Company. 23rd of June. Things pretty quiet this morning. Watched about 50 marauders go over to Bomb Khan and saw one come down in flames and another hit. Still, good show. A shufty kite has just been over and Jerry tickled him up with a spandau, but he misses him every time. We've picked up a thoroughbred Alsatian for a mascot, christened him Monty. Good sentry, but terribly bomb-happy. Who isn't? 24th of June. Lovely day for a change. Still sitting at Les Oreilles. Looks as if we'll be waiting here until the push starts, if ever. Took up rations to forward platoon. 25th of June. Shelling is getting more and heavier every day from both sides, but we must sling over ten shells to one of Jerry's. Weather fine, so managed to get a bit of washing done. 26th of June. Caught in bed at stand two by the new CO. Bill wasn't suited and in his bad books this morning. Raining again, but still got my washing out, as it'll finish off what I left in. Took up rations again to Laboot. Shelling continuous and mortars. Doggers settled down okay. Everybody getting more and more browned off. Collared a mandolin, castanets and piccolo from a house nearby and had a so-called sing-song. Everybody was half-hearted. Ford and Smurfield went chicken hunting in the afternoon and ran into a few jerrys. Got back okay, but it certainly taught them a lesson. We got a football from B Echelon and had half an hour's all in. 27th of June. Rain, rain, shells, bullets, bombs and guards. That's all we get. But my washing's still hanging there in spite of it all. Wonder what Bids is doing. Things livened up a bit when a dogfight took place overhead. No planes down, but the RAF certainly put the fear of Christ into the jerrys. Parcel of papers from bid. I see they've collected £234,000 for our battalion. Bloody idiots. Just heard that Cherbourg has fallen. Good show, Yanks. 28th of June. Must be six months since we landed. Feels like it. Moved from Les Oreilles to La Galette. 
our positions taken over by the Essex, took a group and platoon commanders forward to wrecking new positions, moved at approximately 1,400 hours. Monty the dog left us at La Bellepine. Has been quite a warm area, this, as there are quite a number of both ours and jerry tanks knocked out. In direct line with our battery, and what a bloody racket. 29th of June. Weather still unsettled. Cleaned all weapons in morning. RAF out in full force today to break up Jerry counter-attack. Otherwise things pretty quiet. Had a good sleep in the afternoon. Listeners, I'll just pause to mention that this is the day my dad got wounded. Uh, not far from VA Bocage. And uh, it's interesting to read the next day's diary entry from Doug because there seems to be a a slight sense of sweet revenge going on for what happened to my dad. He was uh, wounded by shrapnel from a shell coming from who knows where, possibly from VA Bocage because it wasn't far from there. Anyway, here we go, 30th of June. Hell of a night from our guns and Jerry's bombs, but slept through most of it. Saw the most inspiring sight over 250 Lancasters and Halifaxes and hundreds of fighters came over and dropped over a thousand tons of bombs on VA Bocage just in front of us. What a sight! Four down. Artillery and fighters carried on from where the bombers left off. Another noisy night. 1st of July. Pretty quiet day. Went out at night in front of the battalion spotting Jerry's artillery flashes or trying to, sat on top of a 30-foot trig point with Captain Murray, perfect target for snipers, and was I glad to get down again. 2nd of July. Sunday, and I've just been laid in my bed thinking of the Sundays with bids. Went to kip around 6.30, and stopped there till 11.30. No energy left, all in, and in need of a decent sleep and exercise. Our fighters doing a spot of dive bombing and strafing. Four or five of us started to kick about with a football and it ended with about 30 of us playing a free-for-all. Took our minds off the war for a bit. 3rd of July. Weather lousy. Changing positions with the 6th Green Howards tonight and I'm not looking forward to it. Absolutely browned off. Wish the push would start. News in general pretty good. Moved into new area at 2000 hours. Took over forward positions from six Green Howard carriers. Lousy position and shelled and mortared at night. Place stinks of death and the fields are littered with rotting cows. Two dead jerrys for companions. 4th of July, Tuesday. Pulled out of my positions as the CO didn't like the idea of us being there and moved into field near battalion headquarters. About 17 casualties so far, and we've only been here 12 hours. Slept all morning. So many of us went to Bayer for baths in the afternoon, and saw some English nurses. On arrival back, informed that I'm LOB, left out of battle, for 48 hours. First time in four years. Quite a change, everything quiet and peaceful from up there. Got quite merry with the boys and Captain Mason 
and got to bed at oh, 200 hours. 5th of July. Spent all day sleeping and drinking tea. Played football at night. Hell, but I bet that it's great in Blighty right now. Could just do with a swim up the Riviera with bids. 6th of July. Just heard that poor old Topper has died in hospital at Portsmouth. Bad show, and everybody cut up about it. Lectured in the afternoon by Army Educational Corps Sergeant on the war. Looks simple on paper. Moved back into line at 1600 hours. Went up to forward company with carrier. Stacks of mortars and shrapnel. Otherwise quite a peaceful night. One month since D-Day. 7th of July. Still at it and still no sign of the push to Khan starting. Our artillery sling over a hell of a barrage for seven minutes as we had a patrol pinned down by Jerry and couldn't quite get them out. One officer and two men unable to get in. Jerry retaliates and shells them. Quite a few casualties. Rumours of going home by the month end. Ha ha. Wish that we could get relieved for good. Absolutely browned off, and who isn't? Very few of the old lads left now. All it is, is a process of elimination. The RAF came over again this evening, and bombed northwest of Khan. 2,000 tonnes dropped to open the push at that end of the sector. Good lads. 8th of July. Jerry got a bit narked this morning, and started a counter-attack, but our artillery quietened him down. Found a cherry tree and gave them the big licks. Made a bet with Woy that Paris won't have fallen by 8th of October. Five shillings. 9th of July. Weather unsettled. The typhoons came over and bombed and strafed long range. Quietened Jerry for a bit. Enemy tries to counter-attack the East Yorks on our right. But again gets brayed off. Khan fallen. So listeners, that's a major strategic objective sorted in Khan. Uh, the next few weeks fighting for the division involved a weary, trudging, grinding battle through the French countryside. 10th of July. Durham's taken over from us today and we're going back to our old positions at La Galette. Good thing, but I have a feeling that we'll be putting a duffy in before long. Relieved at 18.30 hours. Jerry must have heard the transport moving as he did a spot of extra shelling and mortaring. Seems lovely and peaceful now, although we're only 500 yards back. Had a free-for-all with the football before turning in. 11th of July. Stand twos get me down. Nothing but an absolute waste of good sleep. Two centuries would be sufficient. In a real browned off mood this morning. Cleaned all weapons. Had four hours kip in the afternoon. Went up forward with a couple of carriers to try and find a derelict Jerry self-propelled gun for projector infantry anti-tank practice. But nunti bono. Rigged up a camouflage net on two poles so we could play volleyball and then had another free-for-all. Just about crippled. 12th of July. Went up forward with rations, leading platoon of A Company. 
can get a grand view of the type of country ahead, and it's as thick as hell. What a change. Bread. A loaf between four. First since we left Blighty. Things a bit lively throughout the day, and RAF fairly busy strafing. 1830 hours went up to leading platoon of A Company. Durham's light infantry taking over from them. A good game of volleyball at night. 13th of July. D plus 41. Didn't get up till 9.30 and Bill wasn't suited. Fred goes for three days rest at Corps Rest Camp. Rumour still strong of going home for another landing. Had a bath and did some washing in the afternoon. Wrote to bids at night. 14th of July. Went forward to recce over positions prior to taking over from the East Yorks. Exactly the same positions as we were in on 17th of June. Nasty memories. Moved in about midday. Ike's section takes up positions with D Company at Forward Company. Our artillery is sending over pamphlet shells to tell the poles to pack in. But I have a good idea what the answer will be. 15th of July. My last two sentries slept in, with the result that Bill caught us all in bed at stand two again. Another rollicking. Put em on a whizzer. I was right about the pamphlets. All enemy spandows opened up about 2300 hours. And then his artillery and mortars at 2.15. He certainly wasn't very suited with the idea of packing in. Going to relieve Ike tonight. We're about the only two sections that do anything. Oh, I nearly forgot we had a bottle of beer a man last night. Poor beer, but better than nothing. 1800 hours. Jerry started to get quite nasty with his artillery and also brought up a sobbing sister. Nabelwerfer, the most demoralising weapon he has, and what a bloody wallop when they go off. Relieved at about twenty hundred hours. Not bad positions, but like every other time, very close, and no field of view. Murray comes around about twenty-two thirty hours, and tells me that I have to stop here for forty-eight hours, instead of twenty-four. I'm going to have a real set-to with a little bee one of these days. 16th of July. Our day again. I wonder how many more Sundays will pass before Bids and me are together again. Christ, this sort of life makes me sick. It's neither a life nor an existence. Just sitting in a flaming hole all day long while Jerry just poops away to his heart's content. Can't see a damn thing. Still, I expect it'll be the same for him, only worse with the amount of stuff our artillery slings over. Fred just came back from rest camp and tells us that Jerry is sending his flying bombs over the beachhead now. Must have been what we heard go over us this morning about 01.30. An old boozing pal of the Southwold days came round with Ike this morning. Jock, the dental officer, woke me up about midday and wanted to know if I wanted any teeth out. Good sport. Got paid this afternoon. First one since we left Blighty. Only a quid. No need for any more, can't spend it. Credits must be mounting more. Wish we had some more reading material. Hello, summit's happened. Don's relieving us tonight, wonder what's up. Relieved, 20 hundred hours. 
Ike's been playing hell with Murray about our two sections having to do 48 hours in the wood, so Murray makes it a 24-hour shift for all sections. 17th of July. Had a row with Murray and wasn't suited. Battalion rigged up our own bath at regimental aid post, consisting of a big boiler, big enough for three to get in at a time. Very nice. CO's orders in the afternoon. Bell and Whittam got ten days' pay. I took over Pinkney's position at night. 18th of July. Things pretty quiet throughout the day, and nothing much to write up, except seven prisoners walked in, one a pole. He took out our section of pioneers and showed them where Jerry had planted mines and booby traps. Tips us off that Jerry's withdrawing to Aubois. 19th of July. Feeling absolutely lousy, headache and sick, but have to get ready to go forward with forward body. After removing roadblock and derelict ambulance, move across the crossroads to the main Tilly Cormont Road. Turned left at Le Leon Vert and took up positions with B Company, covering left flank in Jerry's positions. A very uncomfortable day. The rest of the battalion didn't move up till nearly dark, which only left B Company and the carriers to hold a counter-attack. Fired on six Bosch at 150 yards and winged five. Four taken prisoner, or the two got away. Very heavy shelling and machine gun fire. B Company got orders to withdraw at 2100 hours, when the other boys had got into position. We covered their withdrawal. My section, the left front, and Don's the right. Carriers hangered up at the Lyon Vert. Shell very heavy, but we've gained two miles throughout the day, and a main road. Ted Lothorpe gets a blighty right through the shoulder, and Harry Lambert killed. So that's two more of the Aldens had it. Absolutely dead beat with running about from one gun to the other all day. 20th of July. Shelling very heavy and all in one area. Slept like a log last night and feel a bit better this morning. Digging in and now carriers a mobile reserve. Weather lousy again. Shelling continues all day, also machine gun fire. Just heard that somebody's tried to knock Hitler off. Only bad luck it didn't kill the bastard. Shelling continues throughout the night. Jerry's got a new division facing us now. 21st of July. Pouring with rain and shelling very heavy. 1300 hours moved forward approximately half a mile in front of a battalion and took up positions along a road overlooking Aubois and the valley. Deadly positions. Poor old Don gets killed by Spandau while contacting Green Howards. It certainly knocked the wind out of us. That leaves Ike and myself out of the old gang. Bloody awful spot we're in, and I don't like it. No support on left or right, and if it comes to it, there's no way out. 100% alertness tonight, no sleep for anybody. 22nd of July. Stopped raining but dull. A very bad night for shelling and mortaring. Wish we were out of it. The boss has seen the CO about it, but he hasn't made up his mind what we've got to do yet. 
still can't believe about Don, only to think that we were at the usual leg-pulling not 24 hours ago. Blast the war! But it looks as if we're going to keep at it. Fred Senior goes out under fire and recovers a Bren, Piat and other equipment left two days previous by a patrol. CO very pleased. Hello, we're moving back. Now for some sleep, I hope. Try to move out without Jerry knowing it, but A Company make more noise than a bloody battalion and Jerry doesn't half lob the shots over. Pull back the other side of the crossroads and dug in. 23rd of July, D plus 51. Slept like a log, got up at stand two, had breakfast, then slept while midday. That makes 13 hours solid sleep. Understand that Don's body's been recovered and buried at the advanced dressing station. Can't believe it. Relieved Ike's section at 1500 hours in forward positions. At it again, Jerry with his little capers, mortars and shelling. All in our area but no casualties. Plenty of small arms stuff flying about. No sleep again for us tonight. 24th of July Sleepless nights and quite a spot of shelling. Ike relieved us at ten hundred hours. Back to platoon HQ and cleaned up. Shelling still very heavy. Wish the weather would clear and the push get started. A ton of letters from Mum tonight. Jerry has another go, on and off all night through. But I was that tired I never heard a thing till stand two time. 25th of July Looks as if it's going to be a fine day. Quite a few planes out. Spent the morning cleaning all the guns and the carrier. Jerry has another nasty spell about 1800 hours, but again no one hit. Touch wood. 26th of July. Shelling very heavy this morning. Two signalers got smacked. Removed mine trips off the crossroads and dug covering positions. More SIGs from Monty. Shelling and mortaring all day. 231 Brigade relievers tomorrow. Believe we're having four days rest and not before time. 2300 hours. Shelling landing within 25 to 50 yards. Very uncomfortable. 27th of July. 231 Brigade taking over tonight. Went up to forward positions and relieved Ike. And certainly warmed us up there. Patrol goes out and gets pinned down. Non-return. Day seems very long. Devon stuck over at 1900 hours. Pull back to a decent rest area about 6 miles back. Very nice. Can do with it because my hands are none too steady. 28th of July, Friday. Ravelli 7 o'clock. Breakfast 0800. Cleaning and checking carriers and kit all day. Very browned off. Went to see Brother Albert tonight. 29th of July. Ravelli 7 o'clock. Got dished out with new battle dress. Then did drill parade and PT. Some rest, the bastards. George Formby gave us a concert this afternoon. And very nice too. But it's like trying to get blood out of a stone. Trying to get a laugh out of us. Took some photos of Don's grave. Naffy up at night. 30th of July. Church parade 
and day of rest. We had a sergeant's boozing party at night and absolutely passed out. Deadly. 31st of July. Busy cleaning up in general. Baths in the afternoon, otherwise just resting. I believe we're moving tomorrow. 1st of August. Prepare to move 1,000 hours. Taking over from the 130 Brigade. Moved off at 1,500 hours. Typical army. Moved to Comon. Plenty of mines and dead cows. In other words, it's a bloody filthy area, just like the 130. Very heavy bombing raid, with stacks of anti-personnel bombs. Very uncomfortable. Roads chock-a-block with stuff moving. 2nd of August. Wednesday. Listeners, this is military medal day for Doug, though he doesn't know it at the time. Hello. An attack coming off. Moved out at 1400 hours and led the column to the start point. We're attacking high feature of Amaye-sur-Seille, about 5 kilometres away. Our carriers are to advance with tanks and fire everything we have in support while the boys come up with a main attack. Phew, what a to-do. We got there okay and into positions when Jerry opens up with all he's got. Spandaus, mortars... Dozens of them firing at us at point-blank range. Bill gets it, a bullet in his shoulder and out of his back. Joe Garbutt did a marvellous show getting him out under very heavy fire on his motorbike. D Company arrived and we're pinned down for quite a time, but we finally won through with a final bag of 117 prisoners, including six officers and quite a number of Spandaus and Morses captured. Ike then took up positions on the left flank looking north and were subject to heavy fire all night. Listeners, I'm now going to read you the official citation for this military medal action. 439-1159 Sergeant Douglas Ernest Gray Seven Green Howards Military Medal Citation On 2nd of August 1944, the carrier platoon was given the task of covering the deployment of a rifle company of this battalion that was being sent forward on a troop of tanks. The position they had to take up was within 150 yards of the enemy and far more exposed than appeared on the map. Sergeant Gray was in command of the leading section of this platoon The enemy allowed this section to come within 150 yards of his main position before opening fire. The fire was intense and was later found to include at least 8 Spandaus and 4 81mm mortars. The NCO calmly deployed his section and by his inspiration and lack of regard for his own safety kept his section continuously in action until the rifle company had deployed. Subsequently, he was ordered by his platoon commander to withdraw to a less exposed position and move to a flank to cover the assault by the company. This he succeeded in carrying out in a thoroughly orderly fashion. The section continued to give support under his control very effectively for at least an hour from a still fairly exposed position. Sergeant Gray himself operated a two-inch mortar until all ammunition was expended. The action of Sergeant Gray and his section was an inspiration to the whole platoon 
and the covering fire support given very materially assisted the whole battalion plan of attack. Throughout this action, he showed a high standard of leadership, his courage and lack of concern for his own safety being quite outstanding. Well, listeners, um, my goodness, what a scenario. I love the slightly understated way Doug describes the situation, but so well deserving of a medal. So, uh, well done, that man. Uh, By now you'll have worked out that there's just no let-up in the ferocity of the fighting. Uh, Day after day it's been going on, and it's set to continue apace in what's going to be part two of this podcast. I'm just pleased my dad got a blighty one because I think if he'd carried on uh, there would have been a good chance that he'd have got killed judging by the way Doug's comrades are being taken out left, right and centre. Thank you so very much indeed Doug for all that some really priceless history and we must all be grateful you took the trouble to write that diary um, while it was fresh in your mind no doubt with shells whizzing overhead at times. So I'm proposing to take a break at this point and continue with the rest of the diary in the Doug Gray Diary Podcast Part 2. So no more formalities right now. I do hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll catch up again soon in Part 2. But will the Allies take the air bocage? Keep subscribed, my friends. I'm going to finish now with my new theme music. It's called Our Mighty Hearts and I hope you love it as much as I do. And don't forget you can contact me on fightingthrough at yahoo.com or visit the new show notes at uh, fightingthroughpodcast.co.uk for more episode details, photos, social media and feedback links, etc, etc, etc. For now, I'm Paul Cheel saying bye-bye now. See you in part two. <laughs>